Are you ready? Hey, everybody. Hey, folks. Hello, everybody. People in the back. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the inner loop. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the inner loop. Without further ado. Without further ado. Okay, so without further ado, we're going to get started. We should get started. We're yeah. Rolling. I'm rolling. We're, we're gonna get started. Welcome to the Inner Loop Radio and our special quarantine inspiration series. I'm Kyoko Mori. These short episodes are here to provide you with inspiration in a challenging time in all of our lives. Maybe writing doesn't feel important to you right now. Maybe you're busier than ever juggling childcare and work, self care and survival. Or maybe it's just too hard to concentrate on anything creative. We're here to help, or at least give you a break. So turn the screen off on your phone, quiet your mind, and take a deep breath, or several. Follow me on a creative journey. By the time you hear this podcast, the election day will have come and gone. That's all I can say for sure. Who will be our president? When we will know for sure? How we will each react to the results? I can only wait to find out. I have always been inspired by uncertainty, at least in my writing. I love not knowing how the story or the essay will end, what I truly feel and think, why I was drawn to the story I set out to tell, or the ideas I decided to investigate. Writing frees me to embrace the unknown, both in the process and the subject. Often, I go back to the past only to realize that a retrospective trip is just as unpredictable, its results as uncertain as a trip forward into the future. In anticipation of the most uncertain election day of our country's history, I offer this prompt. Recreate a scene from your childhood that you now understand was an early encounter with uncertainty or foreboding. I'm recording this on the day before Halloween, so if you wish, incorporate an element of a ghost story or a fairy tale, the Brothers Grimm kind, not the Disney kind, though this is not a requirement. Here is mine. Like many Japanese houses of the mid-20th century, ours had an open corridor with glass sliding doors. In the walled garden outside, the Russian olive tree planted at my birth leaned precariously over a small pond. The garden was only large enough for my mother and me to stand on the stones on the edge of the pond, to toss a few brown pellets into the water and watch its sole resident, a black carp the size of my mother's hand, rise to the surface, its mouth opening and closing as if to speak to us. The carp, too, had been brought into the garden to mark my birth. There had been more, more at the start, including white and pink spotted ones, but by the time I was old enough to notice, the plain black carp had the pond to itself. The sliding doors had several panels which formed a glass wall between the house and the garden. My mother liked to spend sunny afternoons at her treadle sewing machine placed against one of the panels. Sewing and embroidery were her favorite hobbies. Throughout my childhood, she made one of the kind dresses that were the envy of my friends. A dark blue velvet dress with a white lace collar, a flowered cotton dress with puff sleeves, a smock with an intricately embroidered yoke. I remember many of the outfits I wore to grade school. 
but they were all made in the new home we moved to after my younger brother was born. From the afternoons my mother and I spent alone in the glassed-in corridor of her old house, I only remember the two pieces of red cloth she was sewing together. The material was soft and slightly shiny. The red, with an orange tint, reminded me of the berries the Russian olive tree bore in late summer. As my mother treadled and guided the fabric under the needle that moved up and down, the sewn part of the dress draped over the far edge of the machine. I don't know why I noticed for the first time on this particular afternoon that a seamstress always pushes her finished work away from herself. From where I sat on the floor, it looked as though my dress would fall to the other side and disappear into the garden, and I would never get to wear it. In the stories my mother read to me, children turned into swans and ravens, foxes disguised themselves as brides or mothers, and what you thought was a precious gemstone often became a pebble. I imagine the half-finished dress falling into the pond and the black carp rising to the surface to receive her magic garment. Ever since she and I arrived in my mother's home and garden, she had been waiting for this chance to turn herself back into the princess she had once been. She would walk out of the water in the dress my mother made, while I took her place at the bottom of the pond, the water draping me in its shawl of silence. I started crying, which caused my mother to abandon her sewing and rush to my side. The dress remained unfinished, the fabric draping over the edge, but with a yet-to-be-seamed portion secured by the metal foot under the stopped needle. The future in which I would wear that dress is now a, long, a distant past. I cannot recall if the dress had long sleeves or short, a full pleated skirt or a straight one. The garment has completely disappeared from my memory, as though it had been claimed by a changeling. Sometimes I imagine myself at the bottom of the pond, swimming in and out of the shadows of the tree that was meant to grow and flourish with me. Here's the truth I only understood later. A part of me wanted to be the corp. That's a memory from the house we lived in until I was five. I don't remember if my, my brother was already there sleeping in his nursery or if my mother was pregnant with him. But either way, I must have been aware that my time as an only child was coming to an end. Over the next few years, I would transform myself into a girl known for her independence. By the time I was in third grade, I could take the city bus on my own to visit friends in faraway neighborhoods or meet them at the municipal pool, the skating rink, or the zoo. I had a lot of friends, but what I loved most was being alone, reading for hours in my room, going on long solo walks and bike rides. Although I was married for 13 years in my 20s and 30s, we didn't have children. My husband and I got divorced because I wanted to live alone so I never remarried. The habit of solitude I cultivated all my life has made the quarantine quite tolerable. I didn't write in public places like cafes or libraries, so my writing routine has not been affected. As always, my day starts with physical exercise. I can't go from lying down in bed to sitting up at my desk unless I can spend a couple of hours on my feet moving. My run in Rock Creek Park remains the same as before the pandemic, except for having to pull up my neck gaiter to cover my mouth and nose when I encounter other runners where the path narrows. I hate exercising in a group, 
So I quit going to the gym several years ago and bought enough weight equipment to do a decent strength routine in my apartment to the music of my choice. I have a simpler relationship with exercise than with my writing. It's something I do every day that I enjoy in a straightforward, mindless way. Even on a really cold or hot day, I look forward to going outside to run. And weightlifting is satisfying for its steady feeling of accomplishment. By the time I'm sitting down with my coffee, a bowl of blueberries and yogurt, like the two cats I live with, I eat the same things every morning. I'm ready to plunge back into my writing. Writing is more like swimming than it is like running. The activity feels at once natural and completely unnatural. When it's going well, I feel like I could almost breathe underwater. When it's not, I become extremely aware of the fact that I can only breathe when my head comes out. I have to simultaneously explore what's in my head and scrutinize what's on the page. I cannot decide which is more overwhelming, the words on the page or the thoughts in my head. I picture myself diving into a pool to swim a lap, jumping out and plunging into the ocean, crawling out to return to the pool over and over again. Even though I'm totally stationary at my desk, I feel more exhausted than I do after a long run. I don't write every day because I need to have a long stretch of time in order to focus. On the days I write, that's pretty much all I do. I never was much of a multitasker anyway. Besides, in order to embrace uncertainty in my writing, I need stability. Starting the day the same way, eating the same breakfast, sitting down at the same desk where I wrote the last essay, story, or book that I'd finished. I've only had two writing desks in nearly 40 years. Just about the only variety comes from the interruptions from my cats. They like to sit on the shelf next to my desk and watch me work, but sooner or later they fall asleep. Every couple of hours, they wake up and demand my attention. Still, all they want is a short petting and playing session, followed by a little food. Pretty soon, they're sleeping again, and I can return to my crazy biathlon between the words on the page and the thoughts in my head. I know I'm lucky to have a life that allows for both stability and uncertainty, and chances to visit with friends after my writing day is done. Since the lockdown, I've spent more time than before with my out-of-town friends on the phone, on Zoom, by text. I've attended virtual readings and author events held in faraway cities. I also have local friends I see in person over drinks and food in my co-op's backyard, which is now equipped with a fire table. I'm not drawn to writing about current events, but like everyone else, I've been spending a lot of time in front of the TV, the computer, or the radio, making sure to stay connected to the world at large. I don't know what will happen by the time these words are not simply on the page or in my head, but I know where I will be, at my desk at home, trying to make sense of all the uncertainty. That's our show. Join us every Friday for more writing tips, inspiration, and prompts. To find out more about us, visit us at theinnerloop.org. And when you turn your screen back on, don't forget to hit that subscribe button next to our name. I'm Kyoko Mori for The Inner Loop Radio. Right on.